0: Hey everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. We are sowing into peace, and I can't think of a better time than right now to talk about how we can have the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension, all understanding than right now. And so Jesus, when in his time here on earth, as he spent time with his disciples, he would always give these word pictures to describe who he, he is. It was sort of a way to identify himself and for us to understand uh, who we are in relationship with him. One of the times that he did this was in John chapter 15, and Jesus described himself. It says this, he says, I am the vine, I'm the vine, and you You are the branches, and he who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. He says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus is defining for us who he is, his identity, his characteristics, his nature, and then who we are in relationship with that. And it says when you as a branch are connected to the vine, and you abide in him, that you're gonna bear much fruit. He says, because if you don't, you can really do nothing. You can have sort of counterfeit things, things that will maybe get you by, things that will you know maybe appease for a little while, but it will never be a eternal uh, satisfaction. It will never never be all satisfying for what your soul. Needs, and that is to be connected to the vine as branches. And then he says this He says, My father is glorified by this. When you, as a branch, are connected to the vine, that God gets glory for it, that you may bear much fruit. He says, I want you to bear fruit. God says, My goal, my plan, my ambition, my purpose for you is to bear much fruit. Why? Well, he tells us, So prove, so prove to be my disciples that's why he says i want to prove i want you to prove more importantly i want you to prove that you're a disciple that you're a follower and by the by doing that is by when you bear much fruit you say what fruit well the fruit that we mentioned the fruit of love the the fruit of joy the fruit of peace the fruit of patience and so on. And and that's the kind of fruit that God wants to produce in you so that you can prove, that you can show that you are with him, that you are a branch that is connected to the vine. And this is the identifier for all of us who are followers of Jesus, that we exhibit these things. Uh, that, that God wants to produce, that God wants to use, and that what God wants to demonstrate in and through you to a world that needs it. Jesus said this in John 16. He said, in me, you may have peace. In me, you can have this perfect peace, this real calming peace in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of uncertainties, in the midst of unprecedented times. He says, in me, you can have peace. But then he said this, and this is, I think, understandable for all of us. In the world, you're going to have tribulations. So Jesus is speaking to, I don't know if you can relate to this, but Jesus is speaking to the ways of this world, the ways of this world that is broken, it's challenging, it's difficult, and you've lived in this world long enough to know that. You've lived in this world long enough to know that it's just subjected, according to Romans 8, it's subjected to futility. It's subjected to frustrations and aggravations and, and hurts and pains and challenges. That's the kind of world that we live in. We live in a world that is deteriorates. I mean, all of our possessions, of the our, our most important things they eventually they fade and they deteriorate and they decay our health does that our relationships Take work to to stay, you know, vibrant and, and 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 important. And so, all of these things that we know about our life, our relationships, our stuff, uh, the things that we have are, that are important to us, eventually they they just eventually decay and they eventually deteriorate. Because why? Because we live in a fallen, broken world, and you already know that. But Jesus said, even in the midst of that, even in the midst of all of these uncertainties and and all of these things that eventually decay and deteriorate, these things that take work to, to, to to stay vibrant, he says, you can, even in the midst of that, you can have my peace. You can have my peace. And here's what we also know about this life: we also know that, that God doesn't show bias. Whether you're good or you're bad, it's all of these things. Sort of bad things even happen to good people, and you know that. And Jesus even commented on that. He said, Jesus said this in Matthew five forty-five. He says, "For He causes His Son to rise on evil and the good, and He sends rain on righteous." and the unrighteous. Jesus is saying, I, you know, I, I, don't, I, don't, I have no bias here. This is just the way that the world is. The world has tribulations, and the sun will rise on evil, and the sun rises on the good. The, it rains on the righteous, and it rains on the unrighteous. That's just the way that life works. Jesus tells them this in John 14. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace that I give to you, my calming, perfect peace. It's the peace that you'll need as, as strength in, in, in comfort and encouragement. He says, the peace that I leave with you, my peace that I give to you, it's not as the world gives. It's not as the world gives. You're never going to find that perfect, calming peace in this world do, do I give to you. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. He's telling them. He's telling you. He's telling me, listen, I've got a peace that I want to give to you, but it's not as the world gives. Now, you've been in uh, in this world long enough to know that there's ways in which the world sells us on peace. There's a ways in which the world offers us to peace. They think things like this. You need it. You need it. Uh, You know, you you need that vacation you know, that's the way that the world, so they'll advertise it, they'll sell it, there'll be commercials and they'll say, oh, they'll, it, it will be presented so beautifully and perfectly and they'll say, you need that, you need that vacation or they'll say, you, you need that joint or you need that pill or you need that drink. You know, you, you need it, you need it and all these things that the, that the world will sell. They'll also say things like, you earned it, you earned it. Listen, you you earned that promotion You earn that pay raise. You know, you earn that role of being boss. You earn that. Now listen, I think that you do earn it. If you are a boss, great, be a boss. If you need that vacation when this is over, all said and done, you go until you take that vacation. The point is, is that the world will sell you that this is how you have peace. And Jesus will say to you, that's not where you find perfect peace. It's not in the things that where you think you need, and it's not in the things that you think that you've earned. That more pay, that bank account that's full, you know, that, that, that place that you want to go to. And they'll also say this, you deserve it. You deserve it. You you deserve that you know that that new uh you know gym membership or you know you deserve that new diet pill or you know you deserve that new bed, that new mattress. My wife and I are in the looking for mattresses these days, 17 years the same one. And I feel like on days I deserve it, I deserve it, I need a better, more comfortable thing to have, you know, and, and I need better sleep, all these things. Listen. Listen, you have it, you can get it, but the point is this, it's never gonna be all satisfying for your soul, the peace that you and I long for, the peace that your soul really needs. If you need it, just know that it's not gonna meet the needs that you think it's gonna meet. If you earned it, just know that it's just not gonna meet the needs that your soul needs. It just If you deserve it, just know that it's never gonna satisfy what your soul longs for so the world gives peace when there is an absence of trouble the world gives peace when they're when the kids are acting fine when the marriage is going well when the you know the bills are all paid that's when the world gives peace when the absence of trouble when there's no trouble that's when you feel like i have some sort of serenity i have some sort of peace but jesus says the peace that i give jesus gives peace in spite of trouble jesus said listen i Even because we live in a world that's broken, because we live in a world full of tribulations, because we live in a world full of hurts and frustrations, Jesus said, "Even in that, you said He said, you can have my peace." The world they'll try to sell you on peace, but it's only when the absence of trouble. But Jesus said, even in in trouble, even in tribulation, Jesus said, "I've." got peace for you. So he says this, back to the verse, in me you may have peace, in this world you have tribulations. Then he tells them them this, so take courage. He says, take courage. In other words, you know that in me, peace. In the world, trouble. You should, he says, take courage in that. Now, here's what we do. We oftentimes conform to what the world does. We oftentimes resort back to maybe old nature. We, we sort of fall back on things that we're more used to and, and where maybe our bend is, is towards. And so here's what we often do. Instead of taking courage, we oftentimes take anxiety. We take that route. We feel anxious about things. We feel angst about certain situations that we, you know, we lose sleep over. Or maybe we take worry. We take worry. We we worry about everything. We worry about how things, are, what the outcome of things are going to be because of the tribulations and the troubles and the trials of life. And we just all we do is we conform to the world and we take on the things that the majority of the world does. Instead of Jesus saying, take courage, we take anxiety or we take worry. Or maybe, maybe you feel this right now. You take frustration. Maybe you're just sick of it. Maybe you're tired of this. You're tired of social distancing. You're t- tired of isolating. I get it. I understand it. God does too. And you just feel frustrated. You just feel like I can't do anything. I can't go anywhere. I can't accomplish anything, you know. And you just feel frustrated. And, and this is and we respond in that way. And we act out in that way. And we you know put it on the people around us that we're you know isolating with. And and we just take out our frustrations on people and we hurt our relationships in the process. And so we. We take on this frustration maybe you feel this way you take on unmotivation you just have given up you're like I I just not motivated I can't do anything this is this feels sad and it feels depressing and it feels uncertain and I don't see light at the end of the tunnel and you just take on these things and so Jesus is saying no don't conform to the world Don't conform. Don't do what everybody else is doing and taking on anxiety and taking on worry and taking on frustration and taking on unmotivation. Jesus would say, no, in this time, in this time, knowing that you can have peace in me, yet even in the midst of of uncertainty, Jesus would say this, listen, I want you to take courage. Why? Because Jesus tells us why. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. That's great news for every single one of us. Jesus overcame this world of frustration, of tribulation, of trouble. And Jesus says, I overcame it. And therefore through me as the branch connected to the vine, you can overcome it too. So here's the deal. You're either and I'm either an overcomer or I'm a conformer. You and I are either an overcomer or you're a conformer to this world. And Jesus said this, listen, I want you to take courage and overcome the world. Do not conform to it. Take courage and overcome the world. Do not conform to it. Do not take anxiety. Do not take worry. Do not take fear. Don't take frustration. Don't take unmotivation. Instead, take courage. Why? So that you can overcome and not conform to it. There was a group of guys that refused to conform to this world that they were taken into and these, I'm gonna spend the next few weeks talking about this particular story in, in in view of, with the banner of peace around it because these guys exhibited extraordinary peace through very, very challenging circumstances. And this is a very familiar story for all of us. If you've been around church any time in your life, you've heard of, of these guys. But these guys were guys that were taken, this is about 600 years before before Jesus, they were taken into captivity by the powerhouse nation of that day called the Babylonians. The Babylonians came in, they destroyed the city of Jerusalem, they destroyed their temple, and they ripped people out of their homes, they separated them from their family, they, they stripped away all of their, their dignity, and they took them as slaves into their nation, and they were let out, and they spent about 70 years, 70 years in captivity under the rule of the Babylonians until after that 70-year period, God allowed a guy by the name of Nehemiah and Ezra to go back and rebuild the city. But for 70 years, they remained in captivity, robbed from their home, separated from their family, stripped of their dignity, treated as Possessions, treated as slaves. And amongst them, it says this in Daniel 1:6. Now, among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So, these are these guys that were taken. These were probably young guys, probably, I don't know, somewhere between 16, 17, maybe 18 years old, taken from their families, separated. Uh, from their homes, you know, and then they were brought into uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's, you know, palace, and they were going to be trained. These were guys that had, had wisdom. They had, you know, insights. They, they had intelligence. They had all the things that the king was looking for to surround himself with, you know, smart people to, to help continue to conquer the, the known world at the time, and so he brings these guys into, and they were going to spend about three years in in training, you know, to be conformed to Babylonians. So these were Jewish young men that he was trying to conform into or transform into Babylonians. And it tells us that what they did first says, Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. And to Daniel, he assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. So here are these new names. Why did they do that? Because they were going to teach them a new language. They were going to teach them new ideals. They were going to teach them new ways of a culture. They were going to teach them new morals. And, these, and, and the way that they were going to do that is they were going to strip them of their Jewish names and give them Babylonian names instead. The reason they did that, because in that ancient culture, a name represented their identity. A name was given to to, to represent their nature or their characteristics of something. This is even true about God. God has hundreds and hundreds of different names that represents who he is. It represents his identity. It represents his nature. It represents his attributes, his characteristics. For example, one is that God is known as Jehovah Jireh, which means he provides. It's a name of God that, that, that represents who he is. It represents his characteristics, his identity. He provides. That's who he is. It's what he does. He provides, and he provides for you. Another name that, that God is known as is Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah Shalom, which means he is peace. He is peace. That he, that's who he is. It's his, it's his identity. It's his nature. It's his attribute of God, of what he does for all of us that he not only provides but he gives peace and there's hundreds of other names that describe who God is as a matter of fact God would oftentimes change names of people in our, in our Bibles he would oftentimes for example Abram Abram was no, his name represented high Father and then God came and said Abram you're no longer going to be called Abram you're going to now be called Abraham which why it means father of A multitude. It was God's purpose for Abraham. It was God's plan for Abraham. He was no longer to be known as a high father, whatever that means. He was going to be known as a father of a multitude. That was because it was his identity. It's who he was. Let me give you another example, New Testament. Simon, Simon, that name means God has heard. But Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter, which means rock. And when, when Peter proclaimed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, Jesus makes a statement to him and says, Peter, upon that statement, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my church on the rock. And he says on that, I, I'm, the gates of hell, the gates of hell won't prevail against My church. So he was identifying Peter as that cornerstone, that rock that God was gonna use to begin to build the church. Where today, a third of the world calls themselves Christians. I mean, tell me how God, how incredible God is that he used Peter to build something incredible. And he began with that way. It was God's way of identifying who he was. And the funny thing is, when Jesus would use the word like Simon, it would, be like, it would often be like the times when Simon was sort of acting out in his old nature. He was sort of resorting back to his old ways and his old habits and his old characteristics. But when Jesus called him Peter, he was living out God's purposes. He was living out and fulfilling God's plan for him. And so this is how important it was. A name was so important. So here's the big idea for for today. Here's the big idea. Peace that Jesus gives is knowing your identity in him. Peace that Jesus gives is knowing your identity with him. Let's go back to Daniel. So Daniel, his name meant God is my judge. But they wanted to change his name to Belteshazzar, which means protect his life or protect your own life. Hananiah, his name meant the Lord shows grace. Shadrach, the name meant command of the moon god, which was one of the gods that they worshiped. They worshiped the god of the moon. Seems like a waste of time to me. Michel, his name meant who is like God right? Who is like God? God has no rival. The moon God? No, come on. Meshach, who is as the moon God is? They're relabeling these guys. They were like, I mean, who is like God? Now you're going to be known as who is as the moon God is, right? I mean, these are just ways in which they were trying to re-identify who these guys were. Azariah, his name means the Lord is my help. Abednego means servant of Nebo, which was the god of writing and literature. I can't think of anything more boring than that. No offense, any writing teachers out there. So I, I, I'm just telling you, these are the things that they were trying to do to get these guys to conform to their world. And they put these labels on these guys to do that. And they thought if we just give them new names, they're eventually going to conform. And they're going to forget who their identity is in God. And we oftentimes do the same. We allow these things, these labels to define us. The way that we think about ourselves, we allow maybe what somebody has once said to us to put labels on us that that define who we are. We think these things define who we are. And so that's oftentimes what we do. And so we put things on ourselves, like things like this I'm worthless. I'm worthless. Or maybe we put on things like ourselves to say, I'm a failure. I'm a failure. Or maybe we put things on ourselves that say, I'm a loser. I can't win at anything. Or maybe we think things about ourselves or somebody says things about ourselves that say, I'm ugly. I'm ugly. Or maybe we put things about ourselves on ourselves that say, I'm just stupid. I'm dumb. Or maybe we say things about ourselves, I'm fat. Or maybe I'm unlovable. Or maybe I'm an addict. And we oftentimes put labels on ourselves that sort of define who we are we say i'm worthless i'm a failure i'm a loser i'm ugly i'm stupid i'm fat i'm unlovable i'm an addict I- i'm needy and we or somebody have said these things about us that we believe these things and so and so we start to allow these things to enter into our minds and then eventually into our hearts and then we it overflows out of our hearts and we believe that these labels are true about us but yet these are not the way that god has defined us these are not the descriptors this is not your identity this is not who you are. You are not worthless. You are not a failure. You are not a loser. You are not unlovable. You are not. That is not your definition. You are not an addict. You are not needy. That is not who you are. That is not the way that God defines you. And when we, when we decide that my identity is not what the world wants to conform me to, That my identity is found in who I am in Christ. That I'm the branch and he's the vine and he wants to produce something in and through me called perfect peace. And it is calming enough to give you courage when you need it and strength when you need it most. And so that's what God wants to do in and through you. And so Peter, Peter, says this, he's writing his letter to this church and he's describing them in this way. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens. In other words, aliens means strangers or pilgrims or ambassadors. He says, you're scattered throughout Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. Then he look what he says about them. He says, you who are chosen, He's, he's describing them He's like, you know, we live as aliens in this world. We live as strangers in this world. We live as pilgrims in this world. We live as ambassadors in this world. In other words, listen, listen, listen. Our citizenship is not here. Our permanent residence is not in this world of tribulation. That we are Aliens here. We're strangers here. Through Christ, branch connected to the vine. Through Christ, you are, you are, your citizenship is in heaven. And Peter says, you're chosen. You're chosen. That's who you are. You're chosen. He later defines it in this way. He says this. He says, but you are, and he just sort of elaborates more. He says, you are a chosen race. In the world, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are considered to be a chosen race. That Jesus would say, he, goes, he told his disciples this, he goes, he goes, you didn't choose me. And the disciples would go, ah, I felt like I chose you. It felt like I made a decision, you know, to follow you. But But Jesus was saying, no, 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 the reality is, is that even though you were maybe seeking after something that was more fulfilling and more soul satisfying, the reality was is that God the whole time has been pursuing you and God is choosing you and God chose you and me to, invite invited us to be in his family. That God chose you long ago before the foundations of this world that God chose you to be in his family and here's the good news and here's the the reality for all of us as parents God didn't choose us because we're good God didn't choose us because we have it all together God didn't choose us because we always get it right God chose us and God loves us because we're his. Because we're his. And this is the way that you you love your kids. You don't love your kids because they always get it right. You don't love your kids because they are always perfect. You don't love your kids because they always behave the way that they're supposed to behave. You love your kids unconditionally because they're yours. Because they're yours. And they were invited into your family And you and I are invited into God's family. And long before you even chose God, God chose and pursued you. And if you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus yet, I just want you to know that he is pursuing you. If you don't hear anything else in this message today, I just want you to know that he is pursuing you. Because he loves you and he wants you to to be invited into his family. And when you're invited into his family, Peter said this, that you are a royal priesthood. You're a royal priesthood. He says, you know, it's amazing. In the Old Testament, you couldn't be a king and a priest at the same time. It wasn't allowed. Kings couldn't be priests. They couldn't serve as priests and vice versa. There were separate roles for them. But in the new covenant, in the church, in the age of the church, here's what we all are considered. You and I are all considered through a relationship with Jesus in the family of God as sons and daughters of God, you and I are considered royal priesthood. You know what that means? That means this: that priests one time a year, could access what was called the Holies of Holies, which was a place where the presence of God, it was the presence of God where the presence of God dwelt. And the priests would go as mediators for the people into the Holies of Holies and offer sacrifices for them. In the new covenant, after the, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, you and I all have Access as priests into the throne room of God. The Hebrew writer tells us this day we can come boldly into the throne of grace and obtain mercy and grace. And help in time of need. You know what this means for you and me? That means that I and you and I have access to the throne room of God. As his sons and daughters of the king of kings. As priests who now access the the holy place. That you and I can go and access God whenever we need. And if you need help, he's accessible. If you need to Dump your worries and your concerns and your fears. He's available for you because that's who you are. You're not just chosen, but you're a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood. And he says this, a holy nation, a holy nation. It's amazing when the Apostle Paul and others would write letters to these churches. And these churches were messes, man. They can could, they couldn't get it together. They couldn't figure it out. They're trying to, you know, work it out. And they're just, there's a lot of dissension and, and, and a lot of you know terrible things that were going on in some of these churches. And Paul would write these letters. And you know what he would describe them? He would say, he would call them this. He would say, to the, and then he would whatever he was writing to, he to the saints in such and such place. And he he could have said, You know, to the sinners, you know, to the you can't get it together, to the people that you're a bunch of messes, people that are a bunch of losers. He He could have written anything that would describe, that would identify the way that they were acting. But instead, Paul would always refer to the way that God saw them. And the way that God saw them was saints. The way that God saw them was holy regardless of their behavior, that the way that God saw them was, and the way that God sees you is he sees you holy. And the word holy and the word saint mean the same thing. They mean to be set apart for a sacred purpose, to be set apart for a purpose and a plan that God has for you. And the plan that God has for you as a holy nation separated from the ways of this world, not conforming to the ways of this world, is that God has a plan for you to take courage and to be an overcomer and not conform to this world. To live out your true identity and who you are in Jesus. And that is that you are chosen, that you are a royal priesthood, that you are holy and, and look at this, a people for God's own possession. You're a people for God's own possession. Just like anything, most of the things that you possess in your home and in your life, you possess them because you purchased them. You have them because you paid for them. You own them because you bought them. Jesus has done that for you. Jesus saw the value on your life Jesus saw the plan and the purposes that God has for you and he paid your sin debt for you the scripture tells us that you and I were bought with a price because God valued you God sees you as his prized possession and he wants you to live that out knowing that i'm God's prized possession. Jesus gave his life to purchase mine. And when I put my faith and my trust in him, I realize now that my life is not my own. He paid my sin debt for me. And the life that I once lived, Paul said, the life that I once lived in the flesh, I now live in the spirit of God who loved me. And he said this, and gave his life for me. You are God's prized possession. So he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So that you may. So that you may. It's not that you can, it's not that you should, but you may, right? Can denotes ability. Can denotes ability. You, you can, right? I mean, Remember in school, you know, you would ask a teacher, an English teacher usually, can I go to the bathroom? And they would, they would say, I don't know, can you? And you're like, ah, may I go to the bathroom, right? Because right? it's like can denotes ability, but may denotes authorization. In other words, you may, you are authorized. You are authorized to do what? Here's what Peter says. He says, knowing this about you, Knowing who you are in Christ, he says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I mean, if you are in the room right now, this is where I would just get fired up. But I'm, gonna, I'm just telling you, this is incredible. This is amazing. This is God has called you out of darkness and he is delivered you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I mean, he were broken and dead and separated from God, but God through his great love for you has chosen you to be a royal priesthood as a holy nation, to to be possessed, prized possession of his so that you will then, you have an opportunity to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and has transferred you into light. Wow. I hope that that brings you perfect peace because peace that Jesus gives, peace that Jesus gives is knowing your identity in him. The peace that Jesus offers, this is simply knowing who you are in Christ, living that out. Oh, the world will tell you, oh, you're worthless, you're useless, you're a failure, you're a loser, you're ugly, you're fat, you're dumb. The world will label you in that way, but don't conform because that's not who God says you are. God says, I chose you to be in my family. God says, you're royalty. You're the sons and the daughters of the king of kings. When God is for you, who can be against you? You're not a sinner. That's not who you are. You may be living that out, but that's not the way that God sees you. He doesn't see you as a sinner. God sees you as a saint. And he loves you enough to send his son to pay the sin debt for you and for me So that we can know, so that we can know that we're his prized possessions. So back to the boys. Here's what they lived out. We're going to talk about this over the next few weeks. But I just wanted to introduce them to you, these characters to you. For Daniel, here's what Daniel knew. In the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of the time when they were trying to conform him to be something that he was not, Daniel knew that God, God is my judge. God is my ruler. God is in charge, not anybody else. Who God says I am, that's who I am. And Daniel lived out his life, and we're going to talk about it. Daniel lived out his life as God is my ruler. And what God decides for me, that's what I'm going to do. No matter what is asked of me and no matter how hard they try to conform me, Daniel decided I will not conform. Because I know who I am. I know who I am in God. And God is my judge. For Hananiah, he knew. The Lord, he shows grace. The Lord shows grace. The Lord shows grace in the fact that he gives you grace that what you need to get through any and every circumstance. That God shows grace enough to you to give you a peace. Even when there's nothing to be peaceful about. He shows that kind of grace. For Mishael is, who is like God? Who is like God? Nothing can compare to God. No one is like God. The moon God, come on. The literacy God, come on. There's nothing that compare to God. Whatever comes up against me, nothing compares to the power and the strength that my God has for me. For Azariah, who I am, the Lord is my help. When I need it. even when I don't need it, the Lord is my help. Even when I feel helpless, I know that the Lord is my help. Even when I don't feel like taking courage and I rather take fear or I rather take worry or I rather take anxiety, or I rather take frustration, the Lord is my help. So for you and for me, who you are, your identity and where you can get peace and where Daniel got peace and where Hananiah got peace and where Mishael got peace and where Azariah got peace, they knew who they were. And for you, you need to know you're chosen, you're royalty, you're a priest, you're a saint, and you are God's prized possession. That's who you are. Don't let the world conform you or tell you any different, because if you conform to the world, you'll never have lasting, soul-satisfying peace. But if you live out the way that God sees you, and you live out the label that God puts on you, you'll find it, and you'll have it when you need it the most. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these examples in scripture, stories of men and women who exhibited tremendous courage and strength during very, very difficult times. And we're so grateful that you sent your son Jesus to allow us to have this peace that surpasses all comprehension in the midst of challenging times, in the midst of tribulation, because that's what we're gonna get in this world. But this world is not our home. This is not where we reside. That our citizenship, that our home is in heaven and our identity is connected there. Our purposes are connected there. Our plans that you have for us all point to our citizenship in heaven. And when we live in this world, through the challenges and through the, the tribulations, we're gonna live out our identity of who we are in you. And when we do that, just like those boys that were delivered and brought into captivity in Babylon, we're gonna have peace. We're gonna have peace. So thank you so much for this day. I pray, Lord, for each one that are watching or get to listen later. God, I just pray, Lord, that you encourage them. Give them the strength and the courage. More importantly, give them the peace that you provide and only you can provide. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.